This uh, week, um, you may or may not have heard, um, it was a, a sort of a moment, if you like, of uh, sadness, but also rejoicing in one sense. Um, sadness for us, but rejoicing for the person concerned. Uh, Eugene Peterson uh, sadly passed away. And um, I know many of you will, will know Eugene Peterson. And in fact, as a tribute, I thought today we'd do the reading actually from the message. Re Eugene Peterson wrote the message. You've ever seen the Message Bible? You know, Eugene is a, he's a pastor, uh, a teacher, a poet, and a theologian. He writes lots of um, devotional books, which I really enjoy, actually. I really enjoy his devotional books. Sometimes he writes poetry, and it's, it's kind of modern poetry. It's, it's kind of words and phrases that are trying to evoke um, a response. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it goes right over my head. I have to be honest, uh, that side of things. But um, sometimes it does work. But uh, it's interesting, uh, Bono of U2 this week had a concert. And at that concert, he gave a tribute. Uh, to Eugene Peterson, which was really nice to hear. Um, so um, anyway, let's just uh, let's just read. Okay, so we're reading. We're actually we're looking at Cornelius. I don't know if you saw on Facebook. Some of you might have, I put something up on Facebook, a picture of a centurion, and uh, and said we're reading from uh, Acts uh, chapter ten. Okay, so there was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God and was always helping people in need and had the habit of prayer. One day about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next door neighbor, said, uh, came in and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. Then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you are to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, the one everyone calls Peter. He's staying with Simon, the tanner, whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail, everything that had just happened, and then sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noon. Peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch. While lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the skies open up. Something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. Then a voice came, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, oh no, Lord, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. A voice came a second time, if God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. They called in, 
asking if there was a Simon, also called Peter, staying there. Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them. So the spirit whispered to him, three men are knocking at the door looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Peter went down and said to them, said to the men, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? And then if we just go a little bit further on, um, it says Peter fairly exploded with the good news. So if we go a bit further down, it's just to where it says Peter fairly exploded with the good news. Uh, okay. Sorry. So he went with them just to cut. He went with them back to Peter and Peter, you know, and, and explained to Peter what and then said, what do you what have you got to tell us? OK. And so it says Peter fairly exploded with the good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere among everyone. You know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John preached a total life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country, helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all this because God was with him. And we saw it. We saw it all. Everything he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, where they killed him, hung him from a cross. But in three days, God had him up, alive, and out where he could be seen. Not everyone saw him. He wasn't put on public display. Witnesses had been carefully handpicked by God beforehand. Us. We were the ones there to eat and drink with him after he came back from the dead. He commissioned us to announce this in public, to bear solemn witness that he is, in fact, the one whom God destined as judge of the living and the dead. But we're not alone in this. Our witness that he is the means to forgiveness of sins is backed up by the witness of all the prophets. No sooner were these words out of Peter's mouth than the Holy Spirit came on the listeners. The believing Jews who had come with Peter couldn't believe it, couldn't believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on outsider Gentiles. But there it was. They heard them speaking in tongues, heard them praising God. Then Peter said, do I hear any objections to baptizing these friends with water? They've received the Holy Spirit exactly as we did. Hearing no objections, he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay on for a few days. An amazing story.
And really, there are three main players in this story. There's God. There's always God. <laughs> there's Peter. And there's Cornelius. And I'd just like us to have a look at those three characters to start with and just see what we can learn just as we look at them. Well, we'll start with Cornelius. What do we know? Well, we know that he was a centurion. They used the word captain, but he was a centurion, which meant he was in charge of about 100, 100 men, 100 soldiers. He must have shown himself to be a fairly capable and reliable sort of guy, because not everybody gets promoted to become a centurion. So there must have been something about him that meant you know, that he was worth being made a centurion. Apparently, a centurion earned about 16 times the wage of a normal soldier. So he was doing quite well for himself. It says he was caring and kind and a generous man. He gave to the poor. We also know that he was, in other versions, called a God-fearer. Now, a God-fearer is a Gentile who has been persuaded that actually there is only one true God. There's the, the, the only one true God is the God of Israel. And they believe that he wasn't a proselyte, a, a convert. A convert was another stage on. Um, it involved, you know, circumcision and a life change and, and maybe a lifestyle change that wouldn't be compatible with his role in the army. I, I speculate. I don't know. But he wasn't a, he wasn't a convert, but he was a God-fearer. But even being a God-fearer meant that he was prepared to set himself at odds with his compatriots by he would be denying a pagan belief in a multitude of gods. He would be aligning himself with the Jewish people and say, no, there's only one God. There's the God of heaven. And that's what he believed. He'd come to that understanding. He prayed to God and he wanted to be acceptable to God. And he wanted to please God. We can see that by the response of God to his prayers. The fact that he was praying at three o'clock in the afternoon is a further indication of um, how he was influenced by the Jewish understanding of God. That was the Jewish hour of prayer. He was praying at a time when Jews would be praying. And he was obedient to the prophetic and supernatural word that came for him to send for Peter. He was obedient. And the other great thing we notice about Cornelius was he was liked and noticed by God. Isn't that great? We are liked and noticed by God, just as Cornelius was. We're liked. God notices us. He likes us. Well, let's have a look at Peter. Well, Peter was also a man going through a time of change that would place him at odds with his community. Peter was finding out that the gospel was not only for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. 
Peter had heard Jesus preach and say to them that this gospel, this good news, has to go to the ends of the earth. He'd heard that, but he hadn't quite, it seems to me, he hadn't quite made the connection that if he's going to go to the ends of the earth, then it's going to go to the Gentiles. He hadn't seemed to quite make that connection because it seemed a surprise to him when it did go to the Gentiles. And in fact, he himself had preached. We, we, you could read a few chapters earlier at Pentecost. And he said that this message is for all who are far off. All who are far off. But he hadn't quite made the connection that all means all. All means Jews and Gentiles. He hadn't quite made that connection. So he was moving from an understanding of salvation that was in part at least based on laws, because although they'd understood that salvation, he'd understood salvation came through Jesus, but he still thought that you had to sort of hang on to all of the Jewish laws, all of the Jewish rituals, that it was still all part of that. And he was moving from that to an understanding that even Gentiles, completely outside of the law, who have no understanding of that law, do not submit themselves to that law, Yet even for them, salvation comes through Jesus. That they also could be saved, baptized, and added into the kingdom of God. It's interesting, it says that he stayed with Simon the Tanner. Tanners would not be thought well of, I don't think, by the Jewish community. Although Simon the Tanner was probably Jewish, but... He, he had to be in contact with, with dead animal skins as part of his job, dealing with leather and, and animal skins. Um, so that's something that a devout Jew wouldn't want to do. I, I guess it's probably a little bit above being a tax collector and a sinner, but it's, it's not great. Um, and of course, I'm assuming that their tanning is the same as it used to be here in the sort of 18th and 17th century here in this country where it involved a lot of urine. Um, you know, um, you had to have a pot, as the saying goes. And, um, and so, you know, tanners would not be thought of as being socially very much upmarket. It was probably actually a fairly smelly place to stay, living in the quarters at the back of or above the shop, the tanner's workshop. But this was where Peter had chosen to stay. He wasn't doing what a, you know, what a religious Jew would probably do. He'd already learned from Jesus something of the impartiality of God. You know, no doubt when he saw Jesus, Jesus was always being accused of being with tax collectors and sinners, wasn't he? He stayed with the people that nobody else would stay with. Peter had obviously learned that, that that's, that's how you serve the master. You go to places, you go to people that others wouldn't go to, but you go to them with the love of God. But in this story, it's not just about going to Jews that you might not think too much about. He takes it to the next level. He makes the next leap into the availability of God's love for all. He sees salvation coming to the Gentiles. That's you and me, mostly, I think. Probably most of us here are Gentiles. 
And let's also think about what this story tells us about God. Well, as I said already, God notices us. Isn't that a remarkable and wonderful truth? God notices us. He notices you. He notices me. He notices us. He knows about us. That's wonderful. He sees our good deeds. He hears our prayers. At least if they're done in the right attitude. Remember, Jesus did criticize the Pharisees for doing their good deeds in public, you know, just trying to, to get um, a, you know, applause from people. And he said that's not good. Okay? But if they're done in the right way, and if they're done to please God, he's pleased by our good deeds and he hears our prayers. God wants to, we can see, communicate with us. He communicated with Cornelius. He wants to communicate with us, even in this case, to the point of sending angels and visions and supernatural instructions, both to Cornelius, in fact, and to Peter. It wasn't just Cornelius that received a supernatural uh, you know, visitation from the Lord. Peter did it as well. Sort of real belt and braces there, isn't there? God's not just going to speak to Cornelius. He's going to speak to Peter as well and make sure that everything is sorted. And he wants people, we know, we know he wants people to be saved by bringing them into a saving knowledge of Jesus. He wasn't just going to leave Cornelius to be a God-fearer. You know, believing in God, but ultimately unsaved without Christ. Because there's lots of people like that around who believe in God but they've never actually received Jesus as their saviour. And as a result, they are unsaved. They believe in God, and they think that's enough. But they've never committed themselves to faith in Jesus, to forgive them and to bring them through into his salvation. He wants people to be saved. And he makes plans, it seems. God makes plans and arrangements for this to happen. This was just what was happening here. He made plans and arrangements for Cornelius to come into salvation. And he uses people to make those plans and arrangements happen. Isn't that amazing? He uses us to make these plans and arrangements to see people saved happen. He used Peter to bring salvation, the knowledge of salvation, through to Cornelius. And we also know about God from this story that he wants whole households and communities to be touched by the gospel. It wasn't just Cornelius who heard the message. It wasn't just Cornelius who was saved. He'd gathered everybody to his home. And everybody in his home responded and was saved. Whole households, whole families. And what else do we learn from this story beyond what we can see in those three main players? Well, we can see that being religious 
and God believing is not enough. I've already said that, but it's, it's good to say again. Being religious and God believing is not enough. Cornelius believed in God, but he still needed to hear the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the message that's found in Jesus Christ. Salvation and forgiveness. We see in this story that it's God who initiates the growth of his church. And sometimes this is by prophetic or supernatural revelation, as it was in this story about Cornelius and Peter. It's God who initiated this revelation. It's God who initiated this salvation. You know, it was necessary for Peter to go there to Joppa, or sorry, to Caesarea, in order for the Gentiles to believe in Jesus. He only went there because of a prophetic and supernatural revelation from God. It wasn't like he had any plans to go to Caesarea. He wasn't planning to go to Caesarea. If it hadn't have been for God stepping in and bringing the prophetic revelation, it wouldn't have happened. God initiates God initiates the growth of his church. And when God speaks, when God initiates in this way, we are required to be obedient to the prophetic revelation or the supernatural revelation. We have to be obedient to it, just as Cornelius was obedient in sending his servants, just as Peter was obedient in going the prophetic revelation came, and they were obedient. And we simply obey and then see a remarkable outcome. Salvations, baptisms, being filled with the Spirit as we're obedient to prophetic revelation. And also we see that God prepares a bridge person a person who, prov who provides a bridge into uh, a community, a way for the gospel to move into new areas and new lives. God sent Peter to Cornelius through prophetic and supernatural revelation because Cornelius was ready to receive the message of salvation. Now, he was a Gentile. The Jews would not have thought that a Gentile would be someone who was open to receive the things of God. But God had other plans. God had prepared the way for Peter to take his message to this person, this person of peace. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus sent them out and told them to, you know, if you find a person of peace, stay with that person. God provides pers a person of peace. Peace. That's what the team do on a Saturday. When they're going out fortnightly on the streets, they're looking to find and believing that God has placed a person of peace who will receive the message. You know, there are some people who don't want to know, no thanks, not interested, or worse. There are some people who are very polite. Thank you. can't think of anything I'd like you to pray for, but thank you very much for asking. So very British of you. Thank you. Um, 
And there are some people who are wanting to be prayed for. I think uh, Peter and Margaret were telling me they went out on Saturday. They, I think about 12 people were spoken to. Um, about five people were prayed for, did you say? Three people prayed for. And, and a couple of those, or one person, you know, allowed them to sort of go through a, a, a gospel presentation. Okay, that's great. There's always going to be a person of peace. We look to find those, a person of peace. You know, and through this person of peace, Cornelius, a bridge was built into the Gentile community in Caesarea. Gentiles were saved, baptized, added, filled with the Spirit as a result of God's initiation in this story. You know, it's likely that in the few days that Peter stayed with them, because it said he stayed a few days, that he taught them how to live Christian lives. He taught them how to obey Jesus' commands and how to make disciples. Go, you know, in, in Matthew 28, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's probably what Peter was doing in those few days that he stayed with them. Now, he wasn't going to be there to oversee the outcome. But the Holy Spirit was going to be there with them. He wasn't going to be there, but the Holy Spirit was going to be there. It's likely that a church was formed in the house of Cornelius and that he became the leader of that infant church. doesn't say that, but that's probably, that's probably the likelihood of what happened. You know, and it's likely that he would be the one who was teaching the church to believe and obey all that Peter had taught him. And to teach everything that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him. Responding to the prophetic and supernatural call of God resulted in a new church being built in a new city. Previously, as far as we know, there were no known believers in Jesus in Caesarea. Certainly not amongst the Gentile community. It's possible there might have been some amongst the Jewish community. There may have been those who heard the message at Pentecost, because at Pentecost, everybody then went back to their hometowns. It's possible that there were some amongst the Jewish community. But even if that's the case, it doesn't, they didn't mix with the Gentiles, and it doesn't sound like they were sharing much about it in the synagogue where there would be God-fearers, because it seems as though Cornelius hadn't heard this message about Jesus yet, because that's what Peter had to teach him. We don't know. But it's likely that there wasn't a church there before. But now there was a church in Caesarea as a result of Cornelius and Peter responding to that prophetic message that came to them. You know, we're part of a movement that's looking to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. We're looking to be a people who are transforming community. We need to be hearing the prophetic and the supernatural calling of the Spirit and obeying it to see that happen. This church was built in Caesarea as a result of them obeying the prophetic call and going. You know, sometimes it's not a great, it's not a big deal to do. You know, sometimes um, 
All we're asked to do is to go. Go and talk to somebody. Go and see somebody. He, um, Bob was talking about his sister. He just felt prompted last week to go and see your sister. And he went and did it. And, you know, she hadn't become a Christian, but she really found some sort of peace and, and, uh, and, and grace in that. And sometimes it's the simplest of things to obey. Maybe just an inner prompting. God says, go. Go and talk to that person. As people wanting to reach lost people around us who are far from God, we need to be finding the person of peace around us as we go out. We need to be finding the bridge person into homes, into families, into streets, into different cultural networks, bringing good news, the good news of Jesus to everyone who will listen, to all who are being saved. Cornelius served God by hearing the supernatural and prophetic call and obeying it. You know, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that we should especially desire to prophesy. He said he wanted us all to speak in tongues. Okay, He wants us all to speak in tongues. That's what he says. But it's even more so, he said, he wanted us to prophesy. He said, because when we prophesy, we strengthen, encourage, and comfort others. When we speak in tongues, we, we strengthen ourselves. But when we prophesy, we strengthen and encourage others. So Paul says that we should desire to prophesy. Cornelius received prophetic revelation as a direct result of just going about his daily business, doing good and praying daily. That's what he was doing. He was going about his daily business of doing good and praying. And as a result of that, the whole train of events got set in motion by the Holy Spirit. It's what the angel tells us. It says, the angel said to him, God saw your kindness to the poor and heard your prayers. We can all do that, can't we? We can all do good and pray. It's not rocket science, is it? We can all do that. We can all do good and we can all pray. And let's see what God will do. You know, we don't need a prophetic word to tell us to do good and pray. I'm waiting on a prophetic word. Do I need to do good? Do I need to pray? Don't need a prophetic word for that. The answer is yes. We don't need a prophetic word to tell us to share the good news of Jesus with people. It's a given. We're supposed to be doing that. This is normal. But there are times when we do need a prophetic word or a supernatural revelation, sometimes to know where to go, sometimes to know who to speak to, sometimes to know what to pray for at a particular moment when the Holy Spirit is particularly highlighting a particular activity to us that he's doing. There are times when we need a prophetic revelation. Just help us to direct us in the things that God is particularly highlighting at that moment. In general, we don't need a prophetic word. 
We don't need a prophetic word to go and speak to people. We don't need a prophetic word to tell us to pray and do good. But there are times when we do need a prophetic word. I'd like us to respond in two ways, by committing ourselves to prayer and asking God to give us the gift of prophecy. Firstly, prayer. I would really like you to commit yourself, if you can, I think you can, to praying for just five or ten minutes every day for your circle of friends and relationships. It might be family members who are far from Jesus. It might be friends, work colleagues. It might be neighbors that you know and speak to. Have a bit of a think about who you know, who you know who is far from Jesus. Family members, friends, neighbors, work colleagues, to give you an example. And I'd like you to try to spend five minutes, maybe ten, if, if you've got a big long list. Five minutes if it's not a very long list. It's fine. Just five minutes every day to pray for those people. It's not too onerous, is it? No? It's good for me. I've got a dog to walk. So when I walk the dog, I'm praying for my circle of friends every day. I've been doing that really since, since Russell came a few weeks ago and just trained us and got us to think about our oikos, which is our sort of household, our, our friendship map. I've been doing that every day. Um, I'm praying for many of you as well, actually. Not that you'll be saved. <laughs> I know you're saved. <laughs> I'm just praying for you that God's going to bless you. Um, but just take five minutes, ten minutes every day just to pray. And let's see what God will do as we seek him for our friends, our neighbors, our family, those who don't know Jesus. See what God will do. Cornelius was praying and doing good, and God saw him and heard him. He sees and hears us. That's the first thing. So pick a convenient time. I'd like you to, to join with me in doing that. Okay? And second response I'd like is about desiring prophecy. Paul says we should be eager to prophesy. So let's pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst us and a breaking out of prophecy into our lives and into our meeting. You know, Steve was saying last week, you know, it's good to bring testimonies. Testimonies encourage us. But it's also good if we can bring a prophetic word that just kind of highlights something of God, what he's doing amongst us, what he's leading us into. Something, sometimes, of course, the two can overlap. Sometimes the testimony is itself a highlight of what God is doing. But 
Let's, let's um, seek to have prophecy amongst us. Can I just say one thing as a... Um, I don't mean it as a rebuke. A correction, maybe, a better word. Pauline kind of alluded to it this morning. When we're standing worshipping and someone comes to the front to bring something, can I urge you, if you're at all able, if you're not, you know, if you're tired, if your legs are aching, fine, sit down. In fact, sit down whenever you want to. But if you don't need to, can you not sit down? Can you please stand? Keep standing. Keep standing in the presence of God. Because otherwise, what tends to happen is you get into a kind of um, um, audience mode. Someone's bringing something, so I'm going to sit down and listen to it. Actually, it's not for you to listen to. It's for you to engage with. It's for you to be joining in with. It's for you to be seeking God in. Okay, so don't mean that as a rebuke. I don't mean that, you know, but I just think I'm just trying to help us, trying to help us to engage with God and with the prophetic when it comes. Okay. So we're going to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst us and a breaking out of prophecy into our lives and into our meeting together. If you want this, if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're not able to stand, you can raise your hand. But if you can indicate in some way to me and to God that you want this, you want a breakout, a prophetic into your life, you can stand and we'll show, we'll show it to God. And then James is just going to lead us in a, in a song of response in some way, just to continue, just to finish our time focusing back on Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus anyway at the end of the day. Father, we've stood because, as Paul tells us to, we should eagerly desire to prophesy. And Lord, we call ourselves Bible-believing Christians. Well, if that's what it says, and that's what we believe, and that's what we're praying for. Lord, would you break out amongst us with the prophetic gift? Would you allow us all to be those who hear from God and speak out prophetically what it is that God is saying would you give us spiritual revelation Lord to see when you're at work in someone's life would you give us prophetic revelation and supernatural revelation to see when someone is a person of peace Lord would you um, break out into our lives but also into our meetings together on a Sunday when we gather or gather in our connect groups gather in other times whenever we gather Lord we are dependent upon you to break in and do what only you can do break in in supernatural revelation in prophetic revelation in Jesus name
Amen.